You're listening to Open Data Discussions, where we will share stories on sustainable open data, effective programs, and most of all, effective leadership. My name is Jason Hare, the Open Data Evangelist for Open Data Soft, and I'll be the host of this series. Today on the show, in our second installment, I'm joined by Jason Marshall, Senior Application Developer and Open Data Program Manager at the City of Greensboro. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Jason. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I work for the City of Greensboro, North Carolina, as a Senior Application Developer in the Geographical Information Systems Division of our IT department. And uh, most recently, over the last uh, year, I've also taken on the role of the city's Open Data Program Manager for our Open Data Program, Open Gate City. And also of, of some relevance here, uh, I'm a, also a co-founder and president of our local Code for America Brigade, Code for Greensboro. Very cool. Um, so tell all of us how you became the Open Data Champion for the city of Greensboro's What Works Cities team. Um, it looks like you've had some history with the city. Sure. So, so I think it would be relevant here just to give a, a brief history of how the Open Data Program got started and, and eventually led to the uh, engagement with the What Works Cities Program. About it was early 2015. Uh, there were some residents here locally that had become interested in forming a local Code for America brigade. And uh, through that process, um, I and uh, two other residents approached uh, our CIO here at the city uh, to ask about specifically about open data and the possibility of of, uh, starting a program locally so our uh, brigade could have access to the city's data uh, to leverage it for um, additional value to the community. And uh, during that discussion, the, our CIO was very receptive to it. Uh, come to find out that ha- there had already been some internal discussions around performance management, uh, and in that light, um, already utilizing the city's data for additional value. And uh, in her mind, uh, the kind of lumping the open data conversation into that process um, was something she was interested in, and ultimately she pursued. And that that process kind of culminated in a, a beta launch of the program in November of that year where the, the local brigade partnered with the city uh, to host a hackathon where we had a number of data sets published uh, on the portal and uh, the teams that formed at that hackathon, uh, several of them utilized the data on the portal at that time. And that following up from there, uh, in early 2016, we became aware of the What Works Cities program and uh, our CIO applied for the program, and we uh, began our engagement in uh, early summer uh, through the fall was the engagement period. And when we were kind of structuring, structuring uh, that internally at the city, uh, I had kind of just put my hand up as, so, hey, I'd like to lead the open data piece of this. Uh, and uh, that was kind of tied to I was intricately uh, involved in propping the, the initial portal up and the data sets that were already there. And uh, so th- through, through that process with working with What Works Cities, I really developed a passion for, for doing this type of work. That's really cool. Um, one of the things I just heard you mention, um, the CIO wanted to tie in the open data program with your uh, performance management uh, efforts. So it, do you, do you have any, uh, specific, uh, cases where, where you have 
used open data to do performance management, like, um, for example, uh, strategic initiatives that might be going on in the uh, city of Greensboro? Sure. So uh, our, um, the, the city of Greensboro had previously had a performance management program, uh, but uh, I think that internally it was viewed as uh, something that, that really needed to be uh, reworked a bit to be most effective, uh, incorporating some best practices around performance and using data as evidence to help uh, drive uh, decisions and uh, crafting uh, policies and services, directing policies and services. But uh, so through the What Work Cities engagement, we focused uh, 50% on open data and 50% on performance management. And uh, ultimately, what that's transpired into is we are currently in the process of, of working through uh, engaging our three public safety departments around performance management. So that would be our, our police department, our fire department, and our uh, Guilford Metro 911 uh, department. Very cool. And, and we're, um, there, there have been a handful of stat meetings that have been, that have been held uh, that have uh, leveraged internally at this point data as evidence to help drive those conversations. Uh, and those are, uh, so just to give you a couple examples, those are looking at things like response times and uh, how, how quickly uh, our 911 center is able to answer an incoming call, things like that, uh, to help drive in- increasing performance. The goal is... Uh, is ultimately to release uh, some performance dashboards to the public to help uh, drive some community conversation around how the organization is performing. That is so excellent. Um, I think Andrew Ballard from Rutgers University would be really excited to hear about that. Uh, he is a big champion of, of using open data to uh, measure performance and also manage performance. So that's uh, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, so, I guess then the next question, I maybe kind of answered itself, but what role does open data play in policy making at the city? I mean, uh, when you have done these performance uh, management exercises, has policy shifted in one way or another to um, uh, respond to, to your performance management initiatives? Well, I, I think because the uh, the new form that the performance management program is taking that uh, we're still kind of looking at this from a perspective of uh, that it is a very young program uh, that, that's been um, improved uh, at this point. So the, the, the focus now is, is really on uh, getting a good base with these public safety departments so we can start to uh, deploy uh, the the program to the other service areas in the organization. And part of that process, uh, a big part of it is going to be a a kind of an engagement, education, and culture change uh, to where um, our uh, city staff all the way from upper management through middle management to even frontline employees are, are viewing this as an opportunity to really increase our productivity and increase our perception in the community uh, and, and really to create additional value for our residents. Wow, that is really cool. That sounds a lot like um, the CompStat efforts that were done in New York City in the, in the 90s, um, which, as you 
recall been, were very effective. That comp stat is like the, uh, the, you know, platinum standard for uh, performance management. And certainly you guys sound like you're, you're engaging your community in a very strong way, which is just so excellent to hear. Um, I'm going to kind of move into something a little more controversial. Um, so, you know, I live north of Raleigh, right? And uh, you live in Greensboro, and we live in the same state. And uh, we have a lot of civic engagement events that are labeled statewide, but seem to all be held in Raleigh, right? And I wanted to, uh, I know you participate in some of those, so thank you for making the hour plus drive all the way in, <laughs> into Raleigh to go to some of these. But, and and I'm going to add one more comment. I was, I was in Asheville for Unite WNC, Unite Western North Carolina. And there was um, quite a bit of shade thrown on Raleigh about uh, Raleigh hogging up all the civic engagement events. And like with City Camp NC, NC Data Palooza, uh, NC Data Palooza actually was started by me, so that's my fault. But um, City Camp NC uh, was a Jason Hibbitt's Bonner Gaylord thing. But I wanted to get your feedback on what you think about um, the civic events that happen in North Carolina. And do you think we should. Uh, have these more dispersed across the state? Well, I, I, that's a great question, uh, and and I think a very relevant one. Uh, one that um, that I and several of my uh, uh, North Carolina located Code for America uh, colleagues have, have been uh, beginning to talk about um, on on what we can do to uh, really make this thing feel like a more of a statewide network and effort of, of events and opportunities. And I think that, um, I think that you're, you're right. The, um, the engine that Jason Hibbets and the organizing team, uh, has built around city camp NC is, is no, no small feat. And it's a wonderful event. Um, I, I would love to see us to, um, find a way to create more of a North Carolina flavor uh, in some way uh, with these uh, civic tech events. And uh, I, I think that there, there could be a couple models there. Um, I, I, the one would be to uh, potentially explore ways to incorporate uh, more, um, more participation from our other, other brigades within the state, uh, from Asheville, uh, even Greensboro, uh, Charlotte, um, or, uh, you know, they, uh, we're, we now, um, our residents now have the opportunity to, uh, opt in and purchase a, uh, a ticket more for a series of events via the, uh, NC open pass yep. that, uh, that, um, the folks that are organizing uh, city camp and NC data Palooza are now partnering along with, uh, the all things open conference. Um, now, once again, these are all Raleigh-related events or Triangle-related events, but um, I, I would I would love to see Greensboro engage and and participate uh, in perhaps kind of a statewide series of events uh, over time. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example of what I was uh, shooting for. So, at the same time that Chris Gergen, Jason Whedon, uh, Zach Ambrose, and myself started NC Data Palooza. Uh, there was a group of folks in Colorado that started something called Go Code Colorado. And what they did was 
Um, it was headquartered in Denver, obviously, but they they picked teams from uh, five cities every year from around the state, right? So Colorado has uh, a divide much like North Carolina. So they have the front range and then they have the rest of Colorado, right? So front rangers are um, uh, the folks that consider themselves sort of distant from Denver, sort of like Asheville, Buncombe County in Western North Carolina kind of consider themselves distant from Eastern North Carolina. But GoCode has done a really great job at kind of unifying the state. And uh, the if you get a chance after after we're done here, uh, just Google GoCode Colorado and see what their program looks like. It's it's amazing, right? What these guys are able to do. And at the end of it, the uh, Secretary of State's office gives an award, uh, a significant award, like a hundred thousand dollars, to get the winning team up and running with their application using state data, right? So so it's a pretty neat idea. Um, I think in this state we need an open data portal first, but <laughs> then then maybe we can have something. <laughs> like GoCode. Okay, so uh, I want to be mindful of our time here for our audience and for ourselves. Um, so, uh, does your department spend a significant amount of time on ensuring open data quality? And if so, what are some of the steps you make in ensuring sound data governance? And I'm sure you must have some since you're using it to manage your uh, performance measurement and management. Absolutely, that's a great question, and you're you're exactly right. The data governance um, and and best practices surrounding data governments are extremely important if uh, the, this, these open data efforts are really going to be uh, prove real value uh, to uh, to not only our um, internal staff, uh, local government staff, but also to the community. And so, at at the city of Greensboro. Uh, the, through our What Works Cities engagement, uh, the Center for Government Excellence kind of led a partnership uh, with the What Works Cities cohort to help us draft a um, data governance standards document that was uh, defining uh, best practices and the kind of business process of stepping through ultimately um, uh, inventorying our data and prioritizing it and also the process in which we step through to ensure the quality of the data and a lot of the things that are, are spoken to in that document that that we put a lot of time into involve um, things like ensuring that quality metadata is attached to each data set and that the subject matter experts or the data stewards that really know that data are the ones that are crafting that information to make sure that all of the columns in the data set are clearly defined on nice. what data is held there. And also the, uh, the global uh, metadata that will describe the data set itself, uh, the temporal aspect of the data set, uh, and how often it's refreshed and so on and so forth. We also, there, there's a large component where we have to make sure that the data that we're releasing is considered uh, by uh, NC general statute a, a public record. So we're not uh, inadvertently releasing any information that might be uh, contain some uh, personally identifiable information or uh, any like credit card numbers, social security numbers or anything like that. Um, and then we also built into the document that if we, we do identify data that might have some of that non-public record information, that we have a discussion around, uh, is there an opportunity to still create some value by releasing that data by aggregating it in some way 
or redacting the uh, the the information within the data set that is not uh, public record. Very good, very good. Um, so I, I know you're a, a GIS person, and uh, I know that uh, sometimes uh, open data people and GIS people kind of have a difference of opinion about uh, what is geospatial data and what is non-geospatial data. Uh, I remember uh, talking with uh, Twyla. Uh, McDermott from uh, Charlotte a couple of years ago, not in a podcast, just having a conversation. And she said, uh, all data is geospatial data. And I'm like, well, what about budget data? And she's like, well, it's located in the city of Charlotte, so that's geospatially bound. And so I'm like, okay, okay. So I just wanted to see uh, what you thought. It, given your background, do you make any distinctions between GIS interfaces and data and other data types, right? So like, uh, for example, uh, do you see GIS data as being distinct from uh, other types of data or are all data uh, geospatial data in your opinion? So I think historically uh, my my kind of mindset around that question has at a high level anyway has I've kind of lumped uh, data into two categories I think and that because of my uh, kind of my geography and geospatial background uh, the, on the one side having uh, GIS or locational aware data. And then on the other side, you'll, you'll have um, your non-spatial data. But w- one thing that, that, that I, I do try to do here at the city, uh, and this applies to open data as well, uh, I think with the, the looking at non-spatial data or data that might, might just be sitting either in flat files or in relational databases, uh, that don't have a uh, spatial component to them is is there some opportunity to perhaps create some locational awareness in that data via joining uh, that data to our uh, one of our GIS layers, uh, for instance, to uh, create some additional value there or perhaps uh, enable some additional opportunities around answering some questions or uncovering some patterns with that data. That's really cool. Um... I, I agree with you on that point. In fact, uh, you know, when I look at census data, I'm, you know, I can look at it by metropolitan area. I can look at it by census track or block or whatever. Um, but then I always find myself going back to um, a geospatial uh, representation of the data layer. And so I can add it to my data portal. So it gives it additional value. Because when you see it on a map and then you transpose, let's say, crime data on top of uh, socioeconomic data, you started to see some interesting patterns. In fact, I had a discussion yesterday, and I'm trying to talk these guys into going to city camp to make a pitch, but they're, they're the um, Environmental Genome Project. It's uh, something out of NCSU. And these guys have a database of every chemical produced by anybody in the world. And the oh, wow. Is, yeah, it's three billion records. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we were talking and uh, they had a data governance issue on how to make this more useful by geospatially um, pinpointing which factories produce what chemicals, right? And uh, so I'm like, well, this might be a, uh, you know, CardoDB, Mapbox, I don't know, somebody open, uh, open street map. I don't know, we have to find some way to, to add a geospatial component to it. Uh, so just, just. Uh, riffing off of what you said, the conversation I had yesterday about enriching their data with geospatial data is is certainly uh, you know thumbs up on that. So 
I don't know if you've seen this letter from the Civil Analytics Network. Uh, there was a all the you know Civil Analytics Network is um, uh, basically the top chief data officers from some of the top metropolitan areas in North America, and they uh, had an open letter to the open data publishing community. and And I'm just wondering if you had a chance to read it. I have read it, and if so, um, what do you think? Uh, well, I think several points that they they make in the letter uh, really speak to me. I think um, overall that the 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 sentiment that they're they're really conveying here is is really a very valuable one, and it's it's ultimately to make the data more usable to more people, uh, so that it can um, not only be used by uh, government. Uh, employees or perhaps uh, citizen technologists, but also just to, uh, to, to all residents to increase engagement and participation in, in the government process. And I, I think they make a lot of uh, good points. Uh, I, just to, uh, uh, to mention a few that really spoke to me, uh, obviously, uh, they had a, one point they made about uh, treating geospatial data as a first-class data type. And uh, with my, uh, my geography background that uh, that really spoke to me, and and that um, uh, the, the way the open data uh, movement has evolved, uh, I, and I would agree that uh, geospatial data. If you start looking at the tools that have been developed around open data, in in many cases, uh, GIS data has maybe not been given as much uh, consideration or or uh, uh, tools to to really leverage the power of that data. Uh, through through open data, they made they made a lot of really great points in there. Uh, I, I like the the, uh, the concept of uh, providing some vehicle to uh, not only display uh, data in in a flat file or a spreadsheet format, but introducing a uh, a relational component to where uh, data sets really on the on the portals themselves could potentially be linked and queried in that way. Uh, but I think ultimately, really, uh, anything that can be done uh, that can increase uh, the ability to provide that data, wh whether it's additional visualization tools or more user-friendly UI, UX components, uh, to really make the data as consumable as possible so all of our residents have the opportunity to, uh, to understand what the, the, their government is doing and to also contribute to the conversation. I, I very much agree with you. Uh, one of the other points I liked on there was the, um, uh, their insistence that uh, the user interfaces be accessible, like uh, in terms of like WACOG 2.0 accessibility. You know, I think 15% of the U.S. population suffers from uh, some disability. And at some point in our mm -hmm. lives, um, there's a... <laughs> I just finished a class in accessibility from Georgia Tech, and uh, one of the professors made a very good point. He said, at some point in your life, you will also suffer disability because you will get old. <laughs> and like, That's right. We all will suffer from, from a disability at some time in our life. So, you know, universal design is good for everybody. And uh, so to your point, yeah, I think the letter from the Civil Analytics Network was very appropriate. Um, we responded to it, and we actually had a conversation with some of the CDOs. Um, so we took that to heart, what they said, and we're um, adjusting our roadmap because of that. So now we're uh, 
closing in on our time window. So I, I want to thank you all very much for joining us today for this podcast. Uh, this will be a monthly series, so you can expect us once again in a month to share more stories on effective open data programs. Uh, you can stay tuned by subscribing to the Open Data Soft newsletter on our website at www.opendatasoft.com and by following us on social media. Find us on Twitter at Open Data Soft or on LinkedIn or Facebook. And thank you again and hope to be in touch soon. Thanks, Jason.